You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for listening to Vox and Hops, Episode 2. Today I'm with my bandmate, Christian Donaldson, the prolific guitar player and one of the best producers from here in Montreal out of his studio called The Grid. Today on Vox and Hops, we talk about his early concert experiences waiting to see Pantera in the middle of the winter and standing outside for 12 hours with his mother and his best friend. His eternal search for the perfect guitar tone back in the day when there was no internet and no way to tell you and profile amps. The challenges of the producing and mixing albums in a modern era. And his thoughts and opinions about the new Cryptopsy release, The Book of Suffering, Tome 2. Stay tuned, check it out. Here it is, Fox and Hops, Episode 2. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, how's it going? Here we go on Fox and Hops podcast. Today, my guest is Christian Donaldson, my fellow bandmate from Cryptopsy and uh, the owner, master producer, mixer supreme from The Grid Studios. Wow. So how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. What's been going on? We had a good time at Heavy MTL today, day two. We had a good time, yes. If I could remember the end of it, yeah. We, we, we found uh, where the good beer was. Yeah, exactly. And we, and we seldom ventured much farther away from it than that. Yeah, dude, that was better. The be- the better beer was cheaper than the shitty one, so. That's true. That's true. What were uh, some of the best sets that you got to see? The, what I got to see uh well, I'm going to say I'm going to go with the Agonists because you know, first of all, they're friends, and second, I thought their set was really good. And uh, I got to see Get the Shot. That was good. My buddies from Blind Witness, I liked it too. Uh, and uh, from what I can remember, I like Gajira. And I wish I could have seen uh, Limbiscuit, but you know, it was too late. They 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 put on a show. Was that okay? In the first twenty minutes, they played two songs. <laughs> Not bad. They, uh, they 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 drag stuff out. You know, for everyone that doesn't know, they were they were there to replace Avenged Sevenfold, and they got called in a few days before. So uh, props to them that they showed up with the whole production. Um, you know, but out of the fifteen songs set, they played like five covers. So mm-hmm. I, I can't quite back that i don't really respect that as a as a yeah. headliner but uh show wise it was entertaining and uh they got people into it did they got nice stage props or something no no they didn't they had a, just a big banner with a weird car on it oh okay well. but but you know west borland cried crawled down into the into the crowd and played the bridge of break stuff it was like, probably like dressed up as a weirdo yeah it was it was chill it was chill oh, i kind of missed the old like alien days you know, like the no no he was still like stage. painted and Half his face was like black and when they, like family values when they yeah. used to have this massive spaceship. That That's was cool. True. That was and back cool. in the day uh, at Ozfest, I think they used to just have a big fucking toilet on stage. Oh yeah. Well. And now they do have a big fucking toilet, but he sings now. <laughs> no, he he was good. Oh yeah. He he really was good. He he, he was definitely better than Manson. Oh, okay. I'll I'll, gi- I'll give him that. So Vox and Hops is always based around beer, and uh, you and I have uh, I believe we've grown together. That could be a correct uh, way to say it. Craft beer enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah. So today I've brought a beer that when I pulled it out, you were like, oh, that's one of my classic go-to favorites. Mm-hmm. So uh, with me today, I brought the Les Trois Mousquetaires Signature Series IPA. So over the years, I sort of feel like this, the, the palette of this has changed. And uh, it's, it's grown into something that I developed. Uh, I, I appreciate more now than I did before. 
So I like revisited it recently and I was impressed because there are so many amazing IPAs that come out on the market and I feel like it's hard to like go back to the ones that you, you, you did appreciate or you might have missed one. So now I've like tried to revisit some old classic favorites, which is, you know, from two years ago, but with the beer market in Quebec being so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a good one. Honestly, it's the one that I can find at the you know, majority of uh, grocery stores and still it, it kicks ass, you know? Like for uh, for having it at Metro, I, that, it's always my go-to, you know? Because the rest is all less good, let's say. It's in a bottle. You see? What I like about this is it's... Uh, It's not very see-through. I like the color. You know, I like the color. I really like those beers where, you know, they look like orange juice. Yeah, so the opaque, um, you know, hazy-style beers, which are coming out of uh, most of the northeastern United States, and now Montreal heavily is very, very inspired by this New England IPA. So I feel like this one has changed the recipe a little bit to adapt to that flavor, using maybe different hops to give it that. So cheers, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for being on the podcast. It's good. It's fruity. A little foamy now. Yeah. yeah. It'll get there. Uh, in my defense, Chris has these very tiny glasses that I'm working with here. Yeah, it's true. But normally these are from the Mondial, you know? Yes, the beer fest up here in Montreal. And they seem to manage, but apparently I can't to pour, <laughs> to pour a solid beer. So the beer in general, if you had to describe this, would be, for me, it's like fruity, tropical, Um, the hazy color, it's uh, it's not malty whatsoever. Uh, extremely refreshing. Mm -hmm. If you have to describe this beer, this is a game that I play with my, my wife and I brought it onto the podcast now, is uh, if you had to describe this beer as a person in the world, male, female, young, old, any walk of life, who would this beer be? <laughs> Interesting. <clears throat> okay, so let's just... To make a good comparison, let's just say that uh, Coors Light would be Hitler. Okay, just <laughs> to start that way. Okay, and uh, we can say that maybe uh, what would be Jesus Christ? You know, uh, you know, <laughs> some kind of great, uh, you know, some three Floyd, a, something. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Three Floyds would be good. The Dark Lord. Dark Lord would probably be Jesus Christ, something like that. You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> where does this fall in between Hitler and Jesus Christ? <laughs> well, there's Coors a, Light there's a kind and of Dark huge Lord pal palette to go from Hitler to Jesus, right? Um, uh, well, it would definitely be a female. That's for sure. It tastes like a female. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. She would need to like fruit. So maybe. Uh, <clears throat> No, no, no. I, would, I was about to say Barbie, but <laughs> Barbie's too superficial, so it still would be like Budweiser or something like that. Okay. So, no. Um, what's her name? Frizinette? Frizinette, that's a strawberry shortcake. Exactly. Probably this is strawberry okay. shortcake. So, this is Christian Donaldson's strawberry shortcake. IPA from Les Trois Mousquetaires. Yeah, yeah. A little about Les Trois Mousquetaires. They started back in 2004 in Saint Eustache, which is a, a, a city away from where I grew up. And, you know, I wasn't into craft beer back in the day. But had I known, I would have definitely enjoyed to go there back in the day. But now they moved to Brossard and they've expanded their beer series. Uh, this is one of my favorites. And I will definitely keep exploring uh, more of Les Trois Mousquetaires. They do have good stuff. Uh, I think their Baltic Porter is excellent. Yes, yes. I have one aging at my house right now. I'm going to pull that out in a few years and see where it went. 
what was your very first experience with beer like with beer like my first first time I yeah had if you beer, can remember yeah. i can remember like really easily it was uh with my first gig ever you know my it's my first real gig ever where you know where a drum where it was a mic drum you know not just playing in someone's basement and after that we had a little party at my drummer's place and uh they bought beer o'keefe i remember o'keefe and i had three of those and i got sick dude you have no <laughs> idea how sick i was they wanted to date they were they were about to uh, show me that girl we were on uh, some kind of a blind date that day and we both got sick. <laughs> Sadly, I never got to talk to her again. But, you know, maybe things would have been totally different if both You're of us didn't have drank like those uh, three O'Keefe. Your whole life you would be an accountant. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Stop music, you know. But <laughs> Living yeah. in a high rise in downtown Montreal. So this is what happened. So O'Keefe, 17-year-old uh, or 16-year-old and O'Keefe doesn't go well together. <laughs> okay. Uh, which beer would be, or brewery, was the one that really opened your mind to craft beer? Oh, that's a good question. I wanted to, I was about to say the Castor, mm -hmm. but I'm, I think I'm wrong because I remember I used to go to, well, I have to, honestly, Wormy, uh, Wormy from Cryptopsy, you know, he was a big uh, beer fan and he just taught me a lot of stuff, you know, while we were going on, while we were in uh, in Europe touring, he taught me uh, the Budweiser, the Budvar, that was cool, I had the black one, and it was really impressive, and uh, I remember I was hanging all the time at St. Elizabeth and I was just trying to get like those good beers you know that they had but i think from from i, I still nah, i do think that the castor would probably be the uh, the the first one that the first brewery which which one from the castor like the yakima the yakima yeah. IPA is the one that really i was like this is a really good beer but you yeah. know i had a whole bunch before but this one is the first one that i wanted to buy you know mm -hmm. and you can go grab just at the store let's say yeah it was not easy to find back then but Okay, it's sweet. I have to agree that the Yakima IPA is from Le Castal, which is a brewery up here in Quebec, really opened my eyes too. It was a, a game changer and I couldn't go back to just drinking. I just remember back regular in the day, beer. I used to, uh, well, I used to uh, try to impress women, you know, by teaching, like telling them about like, you know, a beer should have like four ingredients, you know, water hops you know, and all those other shitty beers like Budweiser, they have 52 ingredients, including peroxide, you know? <laughs> So like that was my like my selling pitch, you know, and I just knew that. And but you were lucky you had like early in your life you had the experience of going and touring Europe mm -hmm. and getting exposed to all these different types of beer that don't really the palates, you know, when you go through Belgium. In Belgium, they're phenomenal for that. But uh, you know, if you go to Germany, they're still very good, but a bit boring in my opinion. Yeah, but back then, back then, it was just it's like a different quality of beer. Oh, it's, compared it's, to, it's perfect yeah. compared to your O'Keefe. Exactly. It's like a, it's like a night and day experience. I'll be very honest with you. Uh, I'm I've, I'm a, I'm a big drinker. You know, and I don't know when to stop when I'm starting. And um, the the biggest difference I see with those beers was the hangover. You know, that mm -hmm. was that was good. You know, you just drink a, a shit ton of like German beers and you just wake up the next day. You're like, yeah, get thirsty. Drink a glass of water. You're done. Yeah, Compared to those hangovers I had here with like shitty beers. The shitty beers that are full of um, preservatives. Yeah. M m mostly. You ended really up having a uh, peroxide shooter in the end. <laughs> it's not the greatest thing. Tell me about your, your, your early life. Do you like Chris growing up? What kind of a kid were you in school? Oh, that's it's funny because uh, <clears throat> I used to be um, a nerd, obviously, uh, grade A student, just 
know it all just uh, whatever want to impress everyone and at some point uh i just got fed up i just started playing guitar and even in high school at, at the last year of high school i just decided to stop being into this uh fancy grade a like class that i was all the time yeah You know, always like the first, you know, there's like all those special yeah, classes. Yeah, so you, you were in like an advanced exactly. grade eight high school and for all the, the math classes. Everything, and, you know. And I was just fed up. So I just went to normal school and decided to play guitar and, you know, drink beers. <laughs> That <laughs> was it. What, what would, uh, inspired you to pick up the guitar? It's, uh, it's, I don't know. Good question. Well, honestly, uh... Well, the Black Album. And when I just I was twelve back then, when I just heard that, and I was like, "This is fantastic!" And I just saw a couple of live shows, and I was like, "This is ridiculous, phenomenal! It has to happen!" And I was, I was looking for that tone, that guitar tone. This is what I was looking for. Even back then, I was looking for that guitar tone. You know, that I call it the, the tone. It was just distortion back then. I didn't know what it was, but I was looking for it. So I just like bought a whole bunch of pedals and uh, was looking for that tone. And then when I got it. I start playing for real because it was so fun <clears throat> did you like go into like music stores and explain this to people or were you just like sheepish and just doing it on your own oh yeah going to a music store and trying everything i was just trying like everything that was available in front of me can i during like my uh you know how do you call it? uh like lunch break yeah, yeah. there's a there was a music uh music store and, like next to it you know a music store and i was just trying every pedal to make sure like oh this one i need to have and this one i need to have and just try to like, try to save money to buy that pedal that i tried that day and it was amazing you know it's like me with beer now <laughs> but uh do you remember what pedal was the one that finally you, you got satisfied with the sound i never was satisfied with the sound honestly i remember my first pedal ever was the Uh, heavy metal HS uh, HS2 I think I, fuck, I forgot the the actual number but uh, the heavy metal from Bus and that was great because I think still to this day that's the pedal that did all the Swedish guy used from uh, you know In Flames to early uh, In Flames and At The Gates and all that stuff so it's still a very good pedal I should not have sell it <laughs> no, you should have kept it to at least profile it <laughs> and and then oh, I'm sure it's easy to find and then the metal zone obviously but uh, you know like everyone else I didn't know that the metal zone had a parametric EQ you just thought it was two mids and just didn't know what to do with it but you know and if you're smart and I didn't know that the metal zone was actually not a distortion pedal it was a preamp so that's the main reason why it sounds like shit because people use it as a distortion pedal but anyways that's another story okay no I can see that I'm way over my head I didn't know I don't, I don't know the parametric parametric AQ that's something that people didn't know and it's not a pedal it's a preamp okay so that's two things that people that makes it so you sound put that bad. before your amp you're supposed to exactly you put it into the return of your amp and you have a different tone oh yeah tone. okay yeah. there you But go anyways, That's so, amazing. What about like early concerts that like really rocked your mind and that changed your life? Like these easy, early concerts. Easy. The first concert I ever went to uh, Pantera. Pantera How old were you? Uh, was 14. Exactly. You yeah. And you went with? I went with Steve. Okay. Uh, For people mother, listening, Steve is, is one of Chris's oldest friends, good friend of two of mine. Shout out to Steve Burns. And he played in many bands with Chris throughout the year. Exactly. And I was there with Steve and with my mother also. She was there. It was funny. We, dude, I shit you not, we arrived there at 8 a.m. <laughs> no way. It was, I can't remember. I think it was February 4th, something like that. It was freezing. <laughs> 
<laughs> but for us, we we thought that was the way to go, man. You have to wait, you know, to have the first, you know, standing first, right in the front. Exactly. Did standing. you get that spot? I got that spot with your I, mom. Uh, not my mom, no. Okay. <laughs> but with Steve and all, and at the end, you just realized that, hey, man, uh, I'm not gonna stay here for the whole concert. <laughs> but you know, I got to see uh, Pierre Steele from Typho Negative that was playing. That was they were opening, and he was right next to me. You know, at 14 years old. That was good, but. They're just waiting from eight till like seven, eight in the morning till seven p.m. when they open up the doors. I think uh, show me like how much of a fan I was. And and like these concerts were they things like that you were like aspiring? Oh, I would love to be there one day. Or is this just like I love this lifestyle? I'm going to go to concerts forever. No, I was always like I want to be there one day. Okay, had to be there. I know. It had to be. I had to be him, or I mm-hmm. wanted to be Phil and Samuel. That guy on the stage. Yeah. A singer, though. I wanted to be Phil because he, you know, he was inspiring me. Even though I thought Dimebag was like one of the best guitar player back then, still to this day, he's just phenomenal. <clears throat> But I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I wanted to be on stage. You know. That's amazing. Give the uh, listeners a quick little rundown how I know how this happened, but I, I I find it an interesting story, and I would like to share it with everyone. How did you end up in crypto? Oh, not that story again. I, I like it, though. I like it. <laughs> it's an interesting story. It's not like they you just know, called kids, you. kids, in my days, this happened. <laughs> oh, it's easy. Um, okay, I'll tell that story one more time, and then... I just find it's interesting. Yeah, it's an, it's interesting, an interesting story. story. It's True. not like you applied to an ad or anything. No, did not. No, there was this... Uh, guitar contest about like playing the guitar and just you know a guitar contest and first uh, i was just like you know i was making that guitar contest and it was working by rounds you know just like a hockey kind of thing that the f- the four uh four out of seven you know and, and, okay, you need and to win four rounds out exactly, of seven exactly and if okay. you need win four rounds you just go to the next round and all that stuff anyways and um I just went the first four uh, very easily, like with the like for four different other players. And, and every every round is a team, you know. It's a sorry, yeah, I'm starting over. Every round is another player, and you just get to to them. try to one up them. Exactly. So it's like a guitar solo, primary it's based a solo competition, contest, competition kind of thing, and. uh So I just like beaten all those guitar player because you know I was better apparently, and um, and at this one point, if I would have win this next round, I would have need to go to Toronto to uh, to go to the next round because I kind of won the the, the uh, local Montreal exactly. Shows. So I was there, I was playing my thing, and I I thought I I thought I did good, you know, I thought I rocked, and it was. It was easy. It was fun, and I just look at the judges, and it just made me lose. And I was like, "The fuck!" <laughs> while you're playing, while I'm playing, okay, kind of they thing. psyched you out because the, these guys still have the last word, you know. And they just decide, no, no, no. This time, uh, the other guy wins, and the other guy wins. And I was like, "What the fuck?" You know, <laughs> I'm gonna try to play better next round just to make sure. And, and in the end, I lose, and I'm super bummed about that. And I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. I thought I was okay, but whatever, you know. And life goes back to normal. I go to my job, which was HMV back then, selling records. And uh, and then I receive a phone call at my job from some dude <laughs> that I'd never spoken in my life. You know, it was Alex Oberon, a guitar player from Cryptopsy. And he told me, uh, 
Hey Chris, uh, yeah, I was one of the judges, uh, you know, for your guitar contest, and uh, I would like to know if you would like to play for Cryptopsy right now, because he knew that if I would have, you know, win, I would have gone to Toronto, and they needed me on tour uh, in like one week or <laughs> to be on tour with, you know, with suffocation. So like I had just, I was not sure at first, and I just went to talk to the guy, and I said yes. So I had to quit my job and just learn 12 Cryptopsy songs. And what year was this? Uh, 2004 2004 or 5 something okay. like crazy and he called you at your work at my work this yeah. is so old school you know before Facebook before anything yeah he tracked you down to your job <laughs> so. well not my normal I guess I don't know he used to work at HMV so maybe he knew I was okay, okay. At HMV. that, that, that makes a bit more sense that's the only thing I can the only sense I can think of so you decide to join the band you go out on that tour yeah What are your like your your frame of mind during this? This is your first real tour. You're on tour with you know people that you've idolized. Yeah, yeah. Suffocation. I was really uh, lonely on that tour, you know, because I didn't know anyone, and I'm just I'm I'm a socially uh, social awkward person. You know, I don't I have hard time to uh, to <clears throat> socialize with people, or you know, so I was like really um doing my thing and as anyone else would do if you don't know you overpack you know and I had like <laughs> you just don't know it <laughs> I just had so much shit on that tour man you have no idea my pod because back in the day you had no phones so my pod to practice but no we were in an RV so I tried to practice in the back of an RV it was well, still learning the songs because you had a week yeah. to learn them it was impossible try to plug yeah, the RV yeah. somewhere try to practice on that's that so funny bed. And uh, so much clothes. It's, yeah, it's funny. It's funny on two levels because a, I remember my first tour, which was like a little, you know, week or two run with Kanai with Three Mile Back of the Day and Blood, Bloodshot Eye, and I was the one I brought so much stuff, <laughs> so much stuff. I guess it's like if that. Mike Marino's listening to this or Alex Dallas, you're gonna, you're, you guys are gonna chuckle just because they don't remember. They, nothing. It, we didn't have a big enough van because of all the stuff that I brought. <laughs> And then it's funny on another level because now Chris, when we tour together, he brings a backpack. <laughs> That's it. For a three-week tour, he'll have a backpack just about. You I kind of learned, dude. A pair of pants and three shirts and he's no happy. Military way, dude. It's the best way. I've learned so it. so funny. You, what else? You don't need nothing else, man. A pick, guitar. That's it. Okay. Tour life. Tell me about if you could put, pick your own perfect, like, Cryptopsy tour. Three bands including cryptopsy who would that be well i have to admit that the cannibal run we did was really good and this one of my dream tours so i didn't say i did it right but if i could still pick another like another tour i would have say slayer i think that could work for cryptopsy it's not too it's not too soft it's not too hard so that could work and behemoth would work too and i think we would have fit perfectly on that bill Instead of, uh, I, I absolutely would have loved to have done, yeah. done you know, yeah. either of those legs. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been an absolute privilege. I'm, 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 uh, Behemoth is still a big one on my list. Oh yeah, me too. I think that they, we would fit rather well together. I have to admit, I'm not crazy about their new single, but still, it has a riff. Yeah, it has a. It has that riff. There, there's like one riff that comes. It's, it's a catchy, catchy yeah, fucking it's riff. True, true. And the video is like a. 
you know, Hollywood quality. Yeah, yeah. Well, these guys are on a different level yeah. than our, you know, our little budget, but very interesting. And if you, what about like on like a side, that's like a business decision. Do you have like a, like a, a dream tour, you know, a band's past and present? If you could just pick it. Something know, that could, I would enjoy seeing. You, yeah. And being a part of and playing every day. For, I don't, I don't know. Someone you think you're like touring with and they don't have, you know, the people that could have died, people. But I mean, obviously uh, Pantera is like high on my list. You know, I used to be a massive fan and 19 year old me would say Meshuga, even though I kind of a bit, you know, it's, I don't know. There's so many good bands right now but I'm just a bit uh, I don't want to say fed up because it's not true but I just feel like uh, not not bored but I guess somewhere between bored and fed up but not bored or fed up if that makes any sense <laughs> no but I mean Pantera would be cool but uh, I, I think Pantera Meshuga Cryptopsy would be a great gig we'd have definitely have no uh, we would not belong there. <laughs> this is not our crowd. <laughs> we'd have fun, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd have fun watching them every night. That's, that's, that's the point of the question, you know? Out of all the gigs we've played, you know, it could be before my time, what is your favorite Cryptopsy gig, if you can, like, remember just one? I don't know, man. I mean, like, those festivals are very fun, those festivals in Europe. Yeah, so, truly blessed to get through those. Wacken would have been uh, fantastic if we would have arrived on time and what else uh you know like the first hellfest was great where even where sarah was there that the first hellfest was good uh whacking brutal assault the last time was fun you know all those festivals were super fun uh not summer breeze <laughs> well so summer breeze was fun i i spoke about it last time with danny too that, that we, we deadlined and there wasn't that many people there but but you know we played at like three o'clock in the morning but it was it was still fun. Yeah, just yeah. a different type of fun. Yeah, exactly. And the Jaeger machine was empty, so that's that, that 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 was that was me and Ollie's fault. <laughs> which which led to a fun gig for me and Ollie, but yeah. <laughs> and you know suffocation too were there. Yeah. Uh. What is your craziest tour story? Positive. <clears throat> there was that time where we got stuck, me and Ollie. Uh, into, <laughs> and you know, for some reason the venue was there and it was the only place where we had internet so we just decided to uh, go check our phones a bit with internet and <clears throat> the guy just I don't know someone just locked the doors of the venue so we were trapped inside me and Ali you know and we our, our bus call was at 5am so we're just trapped and with no possibilities of going out so we didn't know what to do so in the end the only thing we could have done was to uh, break the door you know so I remember Bill from Decrypit just like punching through the door for us to try to escape to that place and uh, the promoter wanted to sue us because we kind of destroyed the door but uh, I think Flo wanted to sue them for kidnapping stuff like that <laughs> so in the end no one got sued but that was funny yeah it was in Rostock Germany <laughs> I have a video of all this on my at home somewhere. this is home buster yeah yeah and it is it was it was Big Bill and Big D Big who's Bill now Big in, D who's now in Scour yeah. from Cattle DK that was fun yeah. So, and then your absolute horror story, worst tour experience. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I tend to forget these things. That's I, probably for the best. It's probably for the best because you don't want to, uh, you know, you want to still enjoy touring. I remember like those trains to, to, uh, those trains to, um, Russia that were not so fun, you know, but that's not the worst. Oh, there is... I don't know if you were in the band back then when we had to 
Oh, we got stuck in Atlanta. That was shitty. But another thing that was really shitty is like, yes, yes. We were in Frankfurt in Germany. We needed to go... Uh, we need to go to another city. I think we need to go to Norway or something like that. So we had to take a flight. So in, I can't remember the exact date, but here's the thing. So, yeah. So in the end, we just take a shot. Our show was in Frankfurt. We have to leave right away to go to Cologne, Germany, because our flight is there. And they booked a ticket from from Cologne to Norway. And we arrive in Cologne. And apparently we have too much gear because to, to fly through Europe. And they say the only place that you can fly from is from Frankfurt. So we have to take, I think, a taxi from Cologne to go back to Frankfurt to take an airplane to go up to Norway. Well, we could have just stayed there and just move there. That was like some kind of random stuff. Yeah, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but you, you have most of the story right, but I think you forgot. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, I told you it's something like that. We played in Frankfurt. It was we were doing a van tour. We jumped into the van right after the gig. We go to Cologne. We get there. We have too much gear. It would have cost nine hundred euros or something to fly from there. We end up spending the whole day lying on the floor. Yeah. And where we were going, we were going to the Ukraine. Uh, yeah, exactly. To play the metal festival out there, oh, which is on the shit. beach. And it was supposed to be our day off this day. True. And we were supposed to spend the whole day on the beach. It was supposed to be beautiful, amazing. We spent it lying on the floor of an airport to be told that we need to get back into taxis to go back to where we came from another five hours. They didn't have enough taxis to carry all of our stuff, so we ended up taking limousines, <laughs> taxis. That was crazy. We slept the whole way. We get there. We get into the airport. We fly into the Ukraine, and there's a man standing there who looks like a serial killer holding a little piece of paper that says cryptopsy. And, of course, his name is Yuri, and we had a Yuri in the band at the time, so that was funny. We end up getting into this complex in the middle of the night. We go with this man he can't speak english he doesn't talk to us the whole drive and then we get there and we like crawl into this like complex it's like gated community and then finally we get to the gig and you know we had no beach time no nothing it was beautiful where we were supposed to stay we we stayed spent like 20 minutes there played the gig they lock us in this room they say you stay here yeah. they lock the door and then we played the gig. <laughs> that was funny. So you see, you have more details yeah, than me. Yeah, I definitely, definitely remember that. But that was not funny. No? no, same show. There was a man with three nipples on stage. <laughs> and there was machine guns on the side saying, you play now. It's crazy. And we yeah? were not ready, but we played. <laughs> you played. No, it was a good show, though. Yeah. That, that is up there in my tour horror stories. Yeah, yeah, it's one of them. But it could have been worse. When did you first start thinking about starting a studio? I think I started that... <clears throat> very early if not before even joining a band <laughs> really it's crazy because even when i was in in college you know and uh, i studied jazz call at, at, at school you know so my during my jazz degree we had like those uh studio classes which was not really advanced because first of all it was midi and the second was we were tracking on really old analog gear really shitty and not talking about tape machine but something shitty in between tape machines and, and computers you know so not a dad but you know like well yeah some kind of uh 
ADATs and some portable all-in-one solution recording devices, you know. And I just spend like all my time there, even like not going to classes just to oh yeah, just just, just hanging to, out yeah, there, just, just hang at that studio and just to learn how things work, you know. So, so you jumped out of school and you didn't you finished school, but you you got out of the advanced classes in grade eight, but you still graduated high school and managed to get into university. No, it was not it was university. It was CIGEP and CIGEP, which is like college let's say in kind of thing yeah in, in music though so exactly. you still had good enough grades even yeah, throughout yeah. Your, your metal transition it was easy you know your metal evolution <laughs> exactly and i you know and i went to jazz because obviously there were no metal and there was not even there was no recording school back then you know there was only um whatever we had a one class and like i told you it was very shitty i remember the teacher was telling us back in the day now recording on a computer this is ridiculous it will never happen man you will need too much of uh, you will need a hard drive that is way too big and then an impossible but you know where we are right now but yeah so i even i started recording bands since uh since i am uh, when i was 18 i started recording my first project okay and that was at the garage not even but it was at the the, the basement, let's say, before okay. the garage. Before the garage. I had stuff like in still, my... It's still in your your parents' house. Yeah, yeah. I had a whole bunch of different um, devices. I remember my first four-track Fostex. Okay. And then my eight-track uh, Fostex as well. And then I just decided to get myself a, my first Pro Tool rig. I think I was Pro Tool 5.1. So that's like back in the days, you know? Okay. And, and it, was never, it wasn't your band that you were recording? I always did that for my band, first of all, to do like pre-prods before our albums. Okay. But, but like the, you would, bands would come to you or you would encourage bands to come to uh, you? It just happened naturally, you know? Like, like my own band, it was obviously I'm going to do it. It was only for pre-prods. But some other bands, it was for other bands. It just you know, I was jamming in that place. You know, I had a band at some point, and some bands were talking to me like, "Hey, can you record my band?" And I was just doing this. But okay, it was like, you, you oh, quickly became that guy, kind of that but, knew how to do it. Yeah, it was fun. I, you know, obviously, I didn't have the the resources to do it. You no, know, I only had like a shitty thing and bass, treble. That's it. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, yet, you know, it, this is a funny thing when you don't have nothing and you have to manage to make it sound good anyway. So you just like find the way to make it sound good at the source. Like compared to these days, you just think you got to fix it after. You know, back yeah, in the day, I just getting I the, the pure. I learned that way. First sound, I yeah, really the quality that sound way. at the beginning, so you have to just don't have to sweep so sweep up. It's so much a lot of uh, this is a lost art, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are now just like saying, "Oh, whatever, it's gonna shitty. I'll fix it later." No, no. If you just take decisions right now, you won't have to struggle later. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like you said, to come back to your question, I think as it was always in me. I was re- I wanted to record. You know? Okay, and. Has there ever been a point where you weren't the engineer on something that you've played on? Um, well, the latest Cryptopsy, you know, well, I was... Yeah, yeah. Well, because on the latest Tome 1, yeah, we went to Sukov to mix it. Exactly. That was fun. That was yeah. very fun. And you but went I, down there to be with him to... I was involved, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, if you're talking about, like, not, not being involved at all, or... Like, just showing up with your guitar and your songs... It happened. It happened. Uh, the first Minds album. Okay. JF Dashnik from Cataclysm. 
okay. recorded it. So, uh, yeah, I just showed up with my guitars and uh, just whipping everyone, you know, <laughs> do it better, do it better. I was basically a producer kind of thing, you know. Your bandmates or even JF? My bandmates and even JF at some point. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 can I dial that bass tone? It's not like that, you know. Because that is how I met you. I met you through JF because yeah. you, he, did, you, he was busy and he was doing the Three Miles first record. And he ships some editing to exactly you, and for, that's how yeah, I met you. Exactly. Uh, he sent me a few, or a few job, few works here and there because uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess I was fast and quick at editing, and he really liked the way I worked. So he was just sending me his uh, his job to edit. So it was fun, and this is how yeah, this is how I met you because I, I worked on your album, I edited your stuff that JF was doing. Yeah, is that how you like got more? were respected in the field by like meeting other bands i guess the i mean you know it's it's always like that for for everything in life if you do your job properly and better than other you'll get respected no matter what you know so if you just uh, whatever you would do if if you're just meticulous and work well uh people will respect you you know no matter what but do you think that like that, that working for him like vetted you in the eyes of maybe yes and yes it, was for he... sure it would help but i i i think that joining cryptopsy was uh, one of the big uh how do you call that in stepping stones exactly you know that one of the reason why it worked a bit more for me and uh, people took you more exactly seriously. So, yeah so that helped Which is funny because it has nothing to do with your recording skills. No, but it's a bit like that. You know, it's... You just, you have the name now. It's, yeah, or the name, but they kind of... They kind of associate you with, with what you do and they think like, okay, so maybe that guy, you know, he's been around and, and he knows a bit more what's going on than someone else that is just recording, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's, that is one thing. Uh, what else? Is there... Yeah, yeah the fact that uh, the agonist got signed, so I just did like some, my, my first, uh, first album on a label, so that was good. Another thing, you know, that just got me respected, and then from there, it just keeps on going on and on, you know. That's interesting, very interesting. Is there a producer out there that you would feel comfortable just going in with your guitar and the songs and, not, be, and not being involved whatsoever? Tons, man. Like, send me your final mix type thing. You're not involved yeah. with anything. Would you be able to, or is oh, it, yeah, you, yeah, are yeah, you too of much course. of... No, I'm, yes, I'm control freak because I never get the chance to meet someone that as um, that was um, up to my level of uh, OCD, you know. But there is people out there, you know. Who would be your top? <clears throat> But my top, if I just go, uh, uh, if Sneep, Andy Sneep would just be recording my thing, I'd be like, yeah, dude, man, do your thing. I'm just gonna play my guitar and that's it, you know. Just complete trust. Yeah, yeah. There's like a whole bunch of people like that. Andy Sneep, uh, Cole Richardson. Uh, uh, Josh Wilbert and um, Mark Lewis would be one of them. Jason Sukoff, my buddy. They will be like all these guys, like these top guys. They'll be like, "Yeah, dude, man, whatever, do your thing." You know, that's amazing. Uh, one, one day, well, one day, I hope you get to do that. And even like close to uh, close to, to here, our friends, uh, my my friend uh, Yannick. You know, he's super meticulous, man. Uh, yeah, Yannick I, I, Saint -Aman. I would totally trust this guy, like uh, in a blink of an eye. You know, shout out to Yannick. <laughs> yeah, Just shout out to Yannick. Shout out to Max yeah. uh, Max House of Gain. These guys like for our local and they're doing a phenomenal job you know but you know obviously because they're local and i would probably do it myself but but still i think these guys are working their ass off and they're great yeah? which record would you say you are most proud of being a part of 
that I mixed or mastered or uh, in general, like we're just working on in general. Well, there's a whole bunch of albums coming this year that I'm very, very proud of. The Beyond Creation, I'm very happy about that. Like that was a fun album, lots of good, uh, interesting textures. The guys are phenomenal musicians, great ideas. It was fun. That I'm very proud. The New Agonist, I'm very happy about. It sounds super good. Um, there will be a Beneath the Massacre later this year. I'm looking forward for that. <clears throat> There's a whole bunch of uh, albums that I did that I'm very happy. But, you know, happy. I'm proud I've been there, but listening to them back, I'm always like, ah, oh, fuck, I wish I'd change that. You know, I'm really happy about the latest Ingested, too. It's a great album. Uh, but it's always like that, you know. Yeah, that leads me to my next question. Are you capable of going back and listening to albums which you have worked on in the past and listening to them, like, objectively... Or are you just constantly worried that, uh, or like criticizing yourself that you didn't have your either your techniques now or the gear you have now? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's funny because I find like what everything I do goes into three phases kind of thing. Like the new phases when it's like I just finished a mix and it's out and I send it to the label and it, and I'm very happy and I'm like, yes, this is killer. You know, it's killer, killer. And then there's a second phase a couple of months after it. I feel like, dude, this is shitty. I should have done that, man. And then I don't like it anymore. It just, it's garbage. It's garbage. And then there's phase three when you forget about it. But sometimes you just listen to it back and you're like, Man, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. You go through this every time with every album that you're working almost, on. Almost, you know, almost. Wow. I find it's funny. Sometimes you just listen to it back and like, like this one I haven't heard in, in forever, Unbreakable Hatred. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure if I would listen to it again, there's probably tons of stuff that I know that I would have done differently, but I would just probably think and spot what, what was cool, you know? Oh, yeah, that guitar tone was cool and I did that. That's cool, you know? And just try to forget about what was not cool. That's a much so, more positive approach. China, you know, and try to remember that and sometimes I even go look into my old folder and save it as template or preset so I can just go back to what I did before and just try to, you know, from the next one, take what was cool for that. Moving on to our next beer. This is uh, the 48th Parallel. It's a collaboration from Harry Canna, which is absolutely one of my favorite breweries from Montreal. Harry Canna and Riverbend Collabo. Collaboration beer because they are both based out of the city of Alma, Quebec. Harry Canna is in Montreal now, but they're the brewer, the owner of the Brasserie, was born in Alma, and her parent had a restaurant out there. And now they have a... Hold on, I'll start that again. Okay, we're back. And we're moving on to our second beer. This is the This is the 48th Parallel, our second beer of the day. It's a rustic raspberry beer. It is a collaboration beer between Riverbend and Harry Canna. And personally, Harry Canna is one of my favorite breweries out of Montreal. They have a great little brew pub. I go there all the time to eat uh, some brunch with my wife and my, my kids. And it's quiet. They have amazing beer and all of their beers really are are not normal like they don't fall into the hype of the of the hops there are no hoppy beers at harry canna it is all strange barrel aged interesting like no oats they'll use like barley and uh strange rice they've used uh, you know like uh sake casks or sake yeast just always just thinking outside of the box so let's try this one see what it you think it seems about this. interesting yes 
It's sm- you can smell the raspberries right away. Hey, that is strange, but that's really good. That's really good. It's it's a little sour. Mm-hmm. The color is very dark. You you really would not expect that. No, I just no. The beer. You would think that it's like a heavy stout, but it's it's really just. It's not really thick for a stout, though. No, it looks like it. And it's it's raspberry goodness. There's a raspberry, but there's this extra extra I don't know what what is it it's it's like um I guess the malt that they use maybe yeah exactly it's very malty and very raspberry so, so it's, it's like a like a stout sort of heavy but super fruity and sour at the same time mm-hmm. very interesting we've been doing this whole series with um I think it's all been with Riverbend 48th parallel I have a feeling that the 48th parallel is probably where Alma falls on the map because they're both out of there um the parents of the owner of Harry Canna had a restaurant out there and all of the stuff in the Harry Canna brewery, all the tables, the chairs, the decoration is all from her parents' restaurant or their parents' restaurant. And uh, they brought it all into Montreal and it's like very kitsched decoration and Riverbend is based out of Alma. So I assume that it's from that and they have a whole bunch of one. This is the third installation of the 40th parallel and um, I think this one's my favorite. So we'll go back to our questions about the studio work. Should I... Uh, should I uh, describe it as a person? Do you think so? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, yeah, because it's a black, you know, it's a dark beer with the raspberry thing. For sure, has to be a transgender, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> it's a bit fucked up. So maybe the male version of Vandal Vixen. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a porn I don't want to watch. Oh, yeah, it's not. Really, yeah, that's not a porn. So, if the male version of Vandal Vixen was, uh, I don't know, a lawyer, yeah, <laughs> that would be that beer. Okay, I don't know if I'll drink this beer the same anymore. But <laughs> so you're mostly mixing bands now. I'm doing both, obviously. Yeah. You know, but it takes yeah, it takes more time to produce an album than to mix one. You know, obviously. How how do you feel? Like, are you more closely attached to the ones that you've produced in entirety or mostly you know is it like the same uh no um, no it's always the same um attachment if i can say so the only thing is i i can have uh, the quality is just like all the way all the same from beginning to the end when i'm recording it because i know exactly what's going to happen in the end and i know i'll have to deal with every <clears throat> wrong decisions that i make so i try to not make any And sometimes when I re- receive files from other people, uh, some of them are great, some of them are less great, and you just have to manage. That's the thing. You have to manage. And sometimes, like, as much as I w- would like the band to sound great, if the <coughs> recording is not the greatest, there, there's a certain thing you can do. You know, you can only bring it to a certain level, but you just cannot go further because, you know, the, the, the recording was not there. So I'm always trying to do my best. But sadly, if it's not... Uh, if it's not like the way I like it <clears throat> or if it's not like um, perfectly done or um, it, it might be less good. So is that something that you, you've had to learn to handle because you're such I've perfectionist? The, yeah, I've dealt with a lot of stuff, you know, and all, and sometimes, you know, there's some bands that are asking me questions. I, I do have, I even have like a, a document that I send to bands before they're recording. Just like, this is how I like things. Just mm-hmm. please, please do it that way. Normally they never read it and just give me like garbage things anyway, <laughs> but at least I just send them to them. So at least it's not my fault, you know? And, you know, just 
Just for example, like the the trickiest, one of the trickiest thing to mix when you're mixing is cymbals. You know, it's one of the trickiest things because there's so many, uh, so many overtones and so many like harsh sounds, and the room is so important to get the the the, the, the right cymbal sound. The room is extremely important and also what else the the symbol choices are super important you know so if you have some like you know bands that have some shitty symbols in a super small place i'm you know i can do my best but it's never going to sound as good as you know any anything else then and um also there's these new uh, new wave of bands that are sending you midi tracks and just say go ahead do your drum sound that i i personally don't like it i'm doing it because uh because you know i have to but i find it so unpersonal personally and i, and I think it's um, a waste of uh an art i think it's it's a lost art man to record drums and people should just learn to do it again with natural sound with natural yeah. real yeah. drums it's important you have more of a character you have more of a it's more personal personalized yeah and this is what i really like it's important to not to fall into the the trap of okay we all gonna sound the same with the same cymbal sounds and everybody's using these samples or what whatever uh to have your own snare sound that you crafted yourself it's uh first of all way more uh gratifying yeah yeah it's way way more gratifying and in the end your record will go through age way easier You know? Yeah, because it won't be dated to exactly. that sample because there's always new samples coming exactly. out. Exactly, the new the new bundles come out and so this is uh, some kind of. But, but if I'm more attached to something that I do or not really, you know, for example, in Jasper, I did not record record anything, and I'm still very attached to like, this band because I think they're a great band anyway. And uh, is there a project that you have mixed that you just would have loved to have taken it from A to B because you feel like there's stuff missing? Because you do add some like producing to stuff. Yeah, but you some don't... guys have great ideas. You know, yeah, so, you yeah. know. But uh, ingested, I would have probably re loved to record the drums. Just take it from A to Z. Yeah, yeah I would have at least the drums. The rest was spot on. Are there any uh, famous old school metal records that you would love to go back and remix just for the fun of it? Not so a while. <laughs> <laughs> Might happen. <laughs> no, I'm down. I'm down for that. We'll see how the fans feel about that. <laughs> we'll see. No old school records that I'd love to remix. No, 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 none. And justice for all with no, space. No no no, 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 no. These a record is like a picture, and it is what it is, man. You know, there's no coming back. It's <laughs> I know it's weird to say. You can do it. It's fun just for fun. But still, you know, like if I take for example all the remixes from Megadeth. I used to be a huge Megadeth fan, and uh, I think those, you know, Rust and Peace sounded great with this sh like fat, weird snare tone, and now it sounds so triggered on the remix. Remix that mm -hmm. I think it doesn't belong there. It's, Plus, it doesn't fit with the the, the, the memory, fit. the yeah. memory of what you maybe, have. Maybe, maybe it's my, like it's a it's a memory thing. Uh, I don't know if it's that, or I don't know if it's me being too, uh, uh, you know, not emotionally attached by the past. I don't know, but I just do believe that it's like an old picture if you look like an old picture of your dad you and your dad would you would you even say like hey dad would you like to do that picture again <laughs> to take it again it's a bit strange let's you know? get in the bath dad let's do it you know? <laughs> let's, fun, let's recreate it 
you you could for fun, but it's not never going to be like it's not going to feel the same. No, it's not going to feel the same. The grid primarily records metal bands, if not only. Is that something that you you've chosen on purpose? Is it just set of circumstance? Uh, I tried a whole bunch of different things before. You know, I did a lot of rap, but I don't like I don't like it because uh, first of all, I don't like their work ethic, and it's I don't want to generalize, but it's just like it's you know they come here, they just have a beat, they just they don't really have lyrics, they have few flows, they try to do some things, and they're not all like that, you know. But I just. I just don't like it. I don't like the work ethic. For me, it's something else too. You know, we have to need a, you need to have a plan. You cannot just go there and chill and just you know pop things out, smoke blunts. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. But you know, I did some indie rock. I tried some other stuff. But every time I'm doing this, uh, I don't receive a complaint. But people are telling me that sounds too good for the style <laughs> you don't like it's too it clean, it's too clean maybe clear, yeah, too clean it has to be dirtier and i'm trying to do my best i'm like dude this is the dirtiest sound i made and they're still like no no it's way too clean what's going on i don't know so i guess like the style just like suits me and people know is the clean type of uh, production do do you feel that only sticking to metal is something that has helped you as a producer or as hindered your growth you know only working with certain sounds no but it's like as a rounded producer or maybe i would lose big opportunities but on the other hand i kind of win some so i mean like people that has a metal band know that if they come to me they they will have what they're looking for mm-hmm if you're looking for that sound you know there's a for someone that would look that would be looking for a sound like converge let's say i don't think i'd be their guy you know okay. and i totally would be fair with them and just tell them right right off the bat man you know you should, just go to kurt kurt will yeah, take care of you yeah. Kurt, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's fucking sick at doing that thing you know i'm more of a sneep sukup type guy you know this is what calls me and i would love to try but i don't think it would be as good as someone who just perfection mm-hmm. the art of being dirty you know? the dirty grime who would be like your favorite like a dream band to produce that's another good question <clears throat> i don't know dude all of them <laughs> <laughs> who would be the one that you'd be like i i made it you know there's never i you know i i, I feel the same as you i feel like I, I think this is how you feel that you know we never feel like we make it in yeah yeah there's always something bigger That's around true. the corner but like what what band would be like like that slayer tour for cryptopsy would be like a i made it moment the cannibal yeah. tour was like that i would love to uh to produce cannibal actually i would really love to produce cannibal corpse uh the thing is uh you know like for example my favorite sounding album of cannibal is the one that uh, mark lewis did i think it sounds phenomenal it's fucking sick but talking with pat you know it was not super happy about the guitar tone you know so i if i'd be producing these guys i know how it would be you know i'm not that i'm a i'm a good producer but i'm not going to be uh, insistent on something you know uh, i'm probably going to listen to the band so probably pat would come to me and be like hey chris we need to try those weird shitty preamps that sound like cardboard and <laughs> we need to have that on the album i'd probably be like okay even though i know it's not going to be good for them you know that's the thing uh but um i would totally uh that would be like one of the bands that i would love to produce tom two tom two it's coming to a close oh yeah where we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's almost finished. Well, 
Well, for me, this is one of those things where you wish that you weren't involved in the, <laughs> the production exactly. of it. I'd be like, hey, take it. But um, that'd be sick, right? Yeah, what what sick. can the fans expect? Uh, gnarly, uh, brutal, heavy. Uh, what else? Intense. Few surprises, but not really, not really crazy. Uh, I think. If Tom 1 would be non-so-vile, Tom 2 would be non-supremacy kind of thing. That's, that's a good sum up. Uh, how, how did you go about, you know, did you feel like sharing about how you came up with a lot of the riffs? How did I write it? Yeah. Destroying our health, you're talking about. <laughs> you feel like sharing that story. <laughs> sure, sure. I, I have nothing to hide. You know, I'm a, <clears throat> I am a... You know, grown man. Uh, yeah, well, writing the riffs is uh, to write the songs. It's easy. We we normally we just get hammered. <laughs> Me, uh, whoever wants to get hammered with us, you know, in the band you're always welcome. You know, and I'm in the band within the band. You know, we just try to write whatever is going through our mind. You know, and as much as it's possible because sometimes you're just too hammered to play but you still have good idea and the next day the next day you have like all those great ideas that are not all great but you can maybe just at least uh try to decide in a more sober way what will work or not but <laughs> you would have ne there's some stuff that I would have never thought of sober you know that's the thing and, and the reason that you drink to write is because well uh I think I just have less of a mental barrier. I think if I, if I, when I just drink, I just don't care. I don't get, so I just do whatever I want. Even if, if, even if it sucks, I don't care. I'll do it anyway. And maybe if it sucks, it will still, there will, be, there will still be something good in that. So you have to go get everything good in all those sucky part. And some stuff that I would probably think to myself, oh no, it's not even worth trying to do something with it. And when you're really drunk, you're like, oh, what the hell? It's fine. And in the end, you can end up with some really good stuff. Or not, you know. Personally, I, I definitely really enjoy the new EP. I'm super stoked to unleash it on the world. Yep, it's gonna be. It's good. Uh, the riffs are very interesting. It's Captain Caesar who wrote it. Captain Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that they came here. We're we're at the Grid uh, home location up here in Chris's homeland, the outside of the studio world, and I know that they recorded in here, and I can still feel in the walls the the haunting of the. <laughs> The writing session that they had. Yeah, up the here. walls were white before we started. <laughs> How do you feel about taking over the mixing reins? What do you mean after Sukov? Oh, is well, it a, something that intimidates you? Or you 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 mix bands all the time. I do. Um, I I think it's sad because I really like his work very much. The latest D side sounds great, by the way, um, and. Knowing flow, it's not going to be easy to mix. You know, it's going to have been way easier if, to leave a mix and just to let him fight with someone else. With yeah. someone else. Yeah. When, when you say he fights, what 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 do you mean by that? By you know all those little things that uh, is that he'll be demanding. You know, and I know exactly what I'll have to do already. You know, and uh, it's just kind of thing that I feel like 
personally, I, the worst thing to do is just when you're involved into your, uh, your own band writing and recording, I think like doing everything from the writing to the mastering, I think it's too much. In my opinion, I think it's just too involved and it's, yeah, it's too much. You have to leave something else because you just don't have that objective vision, first of all. And second, your bandmate, because they know you, they'll probably be less, uh, what can I say? Restricted or yeah, restrained, less, holding maybe, back. Exactly. You know, if for example, if I would go to see, if I would go to Suka for or Sneep, and if it sent me something, I would tell him what I think. But at some point, I'll think to myself, man, that guy like makes like hundreds of records that are have sold like over you know fifty thousand. So he knows what he's doing, you know. But when they're bandmates, it's not the same thing. You know, they know you, so they kinda have uh they feel that they don't have to put up a filter exactly and yes. actually tell you what they feel. Kinda, you know. And <clears throat> so it can be it can get into frictions at some point, you know, or is it do you feel that there's less respect or is it just No, it's not less respect. It's just that uh <clears throat> there's some stuff that I I think it's okay that maybe in the end uh like someone wants to have this for his own ego or whatever it is and, and it's it doesn't really it doesn't belong there you know I think there should be a rule mixing in the mixing world and someone told me that recently and I thought it was smart I can't remember who told me that I think it was Vicky from from the Agonist yeah everyone when you have a mixer vision to do the everyone should be able to tell what they think except their own instrument that could probably that make life a little bit easier way easier and because i think there's a lot of people that don't listen with their ears they listen with their ego you know what's the funny thing even though on the latest script i'll see tom one i'll have to you know this is something that i believe and <clears throat> i believe that the guitars are way too quiet but I don't care, <laughs> you know. But for the good of the mix. The good of the mix. Jason knows what he's doing, you know. And uh, I don't want to get into an, any argument whatsoever. It's, they're still there. I can still air them, but I would have pushed them a bit more, you know. But it doesn't matter. In the end, it's all good. And it's it's perfect. But, you know, that these kind of things that sometimes it's it's okay just to let it go, you know. Mm -hmm. That's that's my, you know how I am. I, I show up, I track my things, and I let you finish it because I trust you. Yeah, this is what I think, and sometimes it's good that people give me their opinion because I'm not, I'm not like God, you know. There might be some stuff that I don't hear in that are there, you know. Okay, one last question: What would be your standout track on the new Cryptopsy EP? A standout track, yeah. They're all good for different reasons. I like the. I don't even know what that song title is. Will you say it and then I'll number two, <laughs> a sire of sin. Ah, you see, so that's the video. I really like that song. I think it's a great song overall, a really really good song. But I like number one too because it's it has some very interesting riffs in it. You know, yeah, as we're a band and we're still in the writing stage, we still call the songs one, two, three, and four. Yes. So song number two is sire of sin. It's going to be the video which is coming out shortly. If it's not already out. And uh, number one is The Wretched Living. Oh, I see. I like that. Yeah. Which was almost. It was It was, It was. was almost the video, but we, we switched right at the last yeah, minute. Yeah. Classic Cryptopsy style. I don't know. Like a little uh, bird told me uh, that number two would be better. Well, so thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for coming. Box and Hop. <laughs> uh, we had some good beers. And um, I hope that we can do this again one day. Sure.
That's right. It was fun having you. Take care, dude. <laughs> All the best, Chris. Thanks. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to the second episode of Vox and Hops. I had a blast sitting down with Chris. Uh, we drank some good beers. It was a real pleasure. If ever you have any comments, suggestions, um, people that you would like to see me interview, beers that you would like me to try and share with everyone, please send your comments and suggestions to matt at voxandhops.com. On my next episode, I sit down with Patrick Martin, who owns Le Fermentar, which is a brew pub in L'Assomption, Quebec. They just celebrated their one-year anniversary talk about the challenges of opening a brew pub, the sacrifices you have to make in your own personal life, and a whole bunch of stuff about uh, awesome metal music and a whole bunch of funny anecdotes. He's a great guy. So you check it out. Patrick Martin on the next episodes of Vox and Hops. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.